Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Pivot Point. It's another episode. Here we go. Buckle up for a great ride. My guest today is going to be Cindy O'Connor. She's an accomplished film, TV, and theater composer. And I will tell you more about her in just a minute. Did you um, did you hear what's going on now? Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters are closing for good. That's like over 300 theaters across the country. Some in Boston, Chicago. Well, not Chicago, in Illinois. Um, of course, here on the West Coast. What's happening? I mean, I don't mean that like, tell me what's happening. I mean, we're shifting. Things are changing. Maybe someone will buy them and reopen. Or maybe we're going to start heading into just doing streaming. I mean, it's very possible. And if that happens, what happens to those who work in the post-production area and those who spend so much time mixing it's interesting to see. Are we going to start watching everything on streaming? Are we going to watch it on our, our tablets and our phones with earbuds? And what about all of that great imaging? You know, we spend a lot of time on a, on a movie or a TV show really getting the dialogue clean and the sound effects really positioned so that you have this great emotional experience that everything is enveloping. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting because now what are we going to do? Just, you know, left and right earbuds. I don't know, but, um, yeah, not so great news. You know, a lot of us do work for other people. You might be a writer for a show. You might direct a show. You might be a composer. You might be a dancer in a dance troupe, whatever it is. I do want to encourage all of us to do our own work, do our own art, do our own expressions, because we need that. I need to know and hear what you have to say. I want to be influenced by your, your story, your book, your song. I want to see your dance. I absolutely love I know there's a technical term for this, but I'm just going to call it interpretive dance, or maybe it's called modern dance. But when dancers dance in a way that's interpretive with the lyric and the music, it just melts me. It's amazing. I want to see that. Are you a sculptor? I want to see that. So if we're moving towards a new paradigm here. Well, maybe we're not just moving. Maybe we're there. We've got Twitch TV. You can do your own YouTube channel. So bring it. I really look forward to seeing it and hearing it. I do want to give a shout out. <laughs> I want to say congratulations to Kristen Baum. That's my wife, everybody. She has another poem published got published just the other day. It's on Menacing Hedge. 
So you can find that online, menacinghedge.com. And you go to the contributors and just scroll down and you'll see her picture. And the name of her poem is called Unforgiven. So go check it out. Congratulations, Kristen. I think it's an awesome poem. Oh, hey, if you go check it out, everyone, you'll also get to hear her say it. There's an MP3 of it as well. And one last thing. I will put a link to Menacing Hedge in the show notes. All right. On the show, as I mentioned, is Cindy O'Connor. Now, as I said, Cindy is an accomplished composer for film, TV, and theater. And, you know, you'll hear her music on the show Once Upon a Time. She worked with Mark Isham on that show. That show ran for, what, seven seasons? Amazing. And uh, you'll also hear her scores on this film called Forgiving the Franklins, which was at Sundance. And uh, Denny Bean is Dead. That's an interesting title on uh, Amazon Prime. So Cindy and I, you know, we talked a lot, like we always do in the show, about the beginnings and how you got there and how, you know, what, what drew you to your art. But we also talked about some, some hard stuff. We talked about, you know, what's it like being a woman working in a mostly all-male dominated arena? I mean, let's face it, film composers, they're mostly men. So we talked about that, and we also explored some other issues. Yeah, this was a great conversation. So here you go. Buckle up, fasten your seatbelts, sit back, pour yourself a cup of coffee. If you're driving, pay attention to the road, and enjoy my conversation with Cindy O'Connor. <laughs> Hello there. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm trying out this new... I usually just do Zoom with the icky room sound, but I'm trying out this new headphones and mic setup. Okay, that sounds good. You have a, It sounds like you have a nice dead room. I do. Like, I have finally got some room treatment. <laughs> yeah, it sounds <laughs> nice. I like, to, I like to sing in here as well, so... yeah. I like it. I interviewed Michael Stearns. I don't know if you know him, but um, he's in Santa Fe and he's got this beautiful studio and he was using his laptop, just uh, his laptop speaker. And afterwards I called him back and I said, dude, what, what's up with the, were you using a microphone that I couldn't see? He goes, no, it's just my room. And he, wow. he, he's designed rooms and has tuned them. And it's a, he's got a, like this nice Atmos room. And I was oh, like, wow. wow, what a difference <laughs> the room yeah. dynamics make. <laughs> <laughs> so I can hear it. You have a great sounding room. Oh, well, thank you. Wow. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Is this at your home or you have a, you have a this, rental space? This is at my home. When uh, I got married a few years ago and... Uh -huh. My husband and I were discussing, should I work 
have a room at home or work somewhere else. And he said, honey, let's face it. If you work somewhere else, we'll just never see you. Right. <laughs> Which so would probably be true. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really nice. And with COVID now, too, it, it must make it so much easier. Exactly. Just, well, now we're all working at home, schooling from home. How many kids do you have? There are, I went from no kids to four kids. <laughs> <gasps> oh my gosh. I had none. I had none. My husband has four, but they're older. They're, uh, at the time they were one in junior high, two in high school, one starting college. Now they're three in college, one in high school. Okay. That's a little bit easier, I, I yeah. guess, isn't they're it? They're slowly leaving the nest. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's been great because I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I would have that experience of raising yeah. kids. And so I've gotten to do a little bit. They do their yeah. one week with their mom, one week with us. Nice. So. That's great. Well, thank you. Welcome to the show. I'm really glad that you're thank here. Thank you. I have been listening. I've been researching. And I got to say, I love your podcast. You're oh, such thank a good you. storyteller and so good at <laughs> kind of picking out the themes and the lessons from everyone's story. Thank you. It's really fascinating. Everybody has an amazing story. It's really you, the guests, right? It's like you tell your story and it's, I think it feels so encouraging for all of us to hear the journey, where we started, how we started and, and all the ups and downs. Cause we all, we all have them. <laughs> we all have them. So. Oh yeah. Yes, I really enjoyed your story, too. Oh, yes, you know, thank you. I haven't finished. I um, I think I only I only got up to part three, and then, then yeah. I wanted to check out some of the others, but I was sucked in. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I know I'm due to do another bonus episode soon. Um, with COVID and then with work, I, I just felt like, I don't know. I just felt putting a pause on it, but I'm, I'm feeling the need to get back to it and finish up my story. I mean, it's an ongoing story. Bring it up to present, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, where are you from? Uh, I'm sort of from a lot of places. I was born in Santa Fe. That's where my mom grew up, but I only oh, lived wow. there as a baby because my parents were in the middle of moving uh, to someplace in New York for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Then we lived in, we lived a bunch of places when I was younger, including we lived in Iwakuni, Japan for five years. Wow. That was, uh, that was kindergarten through fourth grade because um, my, my dad had been in the air force, but then he worked for a defense contractor. So, okay. but then when I was 12, we ended up in LA in the Valley. Okay. And that's sort of where we landed, he decided to stop all the moving around and let us as kids have a, a place with roots. Yeah. Which was great. So I sort of feel like I'm from the valley. <laughs> okay. Do you have any um, remembrance of speaking Japanese or do you still speak any Japanese? It's funny. I had, um, because we were not a military family, we couldn't live on the base. So we lived out in town among the Japanese people. So I learned a tiny bit of Japanese and, but heard it spoken all the time. So it's, I've been wanting for the past few years, I've been, I had never been back as an adult. So I had been wanting to mm. revisit Japanese and Japanese culture and try to learn a little bit. In fact, it's one of my pandemic projects as I've been doing some online lessons and some Pimsleur and getting wow. my, getting 
Back to the Japanese. Yeah, that's awesome. My nephew is like just in love with Japanese culture, Japanese people. He is, gosh, how old is he? He's 26 now, I think he's 26. Oh. And he's saving money and he just wants, he wants to go there. He wants to move there. He's been to visit. Now he wants to go live. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, isn't that oh, wonderful? Oh, he should. I, I totally agree. He At this should. age, too, go for it. You know, a lot of us, we start kind of knowing at an earlier age about what our artistic expression might be. How, did you know that you wanted to be in music? Or was there any other arts in your home? What, what was it for you? I did. I wanted to, well, my mom wanted to be a big band singer. My mom has a beautiful singing voice and played piano, but she, in, in those days, she said there were only a handful of job options for women. You're a teacher, a nurse, mm. a wife. And her dad, who had been a musician, discouraged her. He said, it's, mm. it's a really tough life. You've got a tour all the time, et cetera, et cetera. So my mom has always been very supportive of music Mm. And taught me to sing harmony as a little kid and taught me, helped me when I plunked around on the piano. Uh, and my dad, on the other hand, is a my dad's an engineer and he is a complete, if there's such thing as a complete left brain person and a complete right brain person, yeah. these would be my parents. So I feel yeah. like I got a little bit of each. I got the, the math tech side and the art music side. But I think the the first kind of aha moment of, ooh, this world of music and theater. When we lived in Japan, my parents took me to see a Japanese dance show. And even though I couldn't understand the language, there was music and costumes mm. and beautiful staging and dance. And I just felt like, what is this? Oh, my God, this is the world that I want to be in. Oh, that's awesome. How wonderful. And so what happened? Did you start going, I want to learn piano? Did you start asking for it or did it just come? I started taking piano lessons. I think I was, I was around five or six and loved that. But uh, I have a funny story about my piano lessons. It's that each, my teacher, I had lessons once a week and I was in the little, whatever, little Johnny One Note book and my teacher just wanted me to do one song a week. and But that got boring pretty fast because mm. I loved to practice. So I just went through and I learned the whole book. But for whatever reason, I thought my teacher would be mad <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> if I told her. So every week I just pretended that I was on the next little one-note piece. And, and this continued... Mm. This continued through my piano lessons as a teenager when I would get my recital piece and my teacher would say, all right, let's just do the first couple pages of the first movement and we'll focus on that. But I just couldn't wait to know what was going to happen in this piece. So I would just go through and, and not oh, tell them. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Which, why are we so silly? <laughs> I know. Well, you know, we have a lot of the stuff, that the, the constructs that get placed on us, you know. We don't always have that freedom to just go, look what I did. I was able to go through all of it, you know? Yes. And if and I'm sure as a teacher, I would have been thrilled to have a kid who said, hey, look, I learned this whole book. Yeah. So, all right. So this sounds really fun and exciting. And 
let's go through high school you played. Did you go to university for music? Like, tell me some of that. Well, I took I took a detour in by the time I was in high school. I was sort of becoming serious piano student, thinking about that as a career. My teacher, one of my teachers, had had a concert career, but I took a serious detour discovering musical theater mm. and acting. And suddenly, I don't care about the piano. The piano is boring. This is the world that I want to be in. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and so and did that throughout high school and actually went, went to UCLA to study theater. But during that time, I kind of made a... The, I'm thinking of your show and pivot points. I kind of made another pivot point a couple of years into that program. I've still found myself playing piano for everything and writing songs for Mm. things and took a class in writing for musical theater and sort of realized, well, hey, I don't want to be on stage. I want to make things for other people to do on stage. Wow. That I sort of felt like that was finding the sweet spot. And I had a wonderful professor, Gary Gardner, who was the teacher of this writing for musical theater class, who's, who met with me and sort of had a chat like, well, I know you really love acting. There are a lot of actresses out there. You are really good at this songwriting thing. Maybe uh, you should be sort of took me and moved me yeah. onto the path, which I was really grateful for. Oh, that's good to hear. I was going to ask if you were maybe a little disappointed uh, because of the desire to be on stage, but it sounded like you really wanted to not be on the stage. I think I, well, I've sort of ended up having it both ways because I got to play in bands and perform and perform in that way. But, and, and, you know, now that you mention it, I think in the moment of that conversation, I was a little disappointed. I was, what, 20 or 21 thinking, oh, he... Does he think I'm just a, not good enough as an actress? No. <laughs> I don't think we, I really got the message 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I hear you because it's like, I think we all tend to think about when, when a direction opens up, we think, oh, was I not good enough for this rather than, oh, maybe I'm really good at that, you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I can really relate to what you're talking about. So it's really fascinating because I discovered acting about 10 years ago and just fell in love with acting. And I've been studying acting here in LA since then. And it's oh, made that's me amazing. A, yeah. And it's made me a better human being. It's made me a better composer. Um, I understand story much. I mean, I've, I felt because of the years I've been music editing, I really understood story and I've had some really great friends who mentored me in story in New York. And now when you're being on the other side and creating the story, it just changed. It just opened up a whole other world for me. Having said that, being an older gentleman, starting as an actor, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work out, you know, (laughs) because, you know, it takes years and years. But older men have it better than older women. And at least there's that. Yeah, right about that. Absolutely. I totally understand that. And, and yeah, because 
with older women, if they're not already made as a brand, it's really difficult to get in. For sure. Yeah, I understand. That's so great that you, I don't, I don't know many other composers who have studied acting, but I always, I feel like there's really a lot of conceptual overlap. Huge. In fact, aside from just being able to talk to filmmakers about story arc and what this character is doing in this scene, and I feel like just the the making of film music can have a lot of acting concepts in it. The way that uh, I was just talking to a filmmaker the other day about, they said they wanted music that does this but this, and I remembered from acting, well, you can't you can't play two opposing things at in the same time. You have to do it moment by moment. You can't play, she loves him, yet she hates him. <laughs> you have to pull him in and yet shut him out and yet yes. yeah. charm him and yet berate him. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh -huh. the same is true with music. You have to play it moment to moment and no one knows where the next moment is going to go. And that's what's interesting yes. rather than trying to play a kind of general music that is this but that yeah oh that's so well said it's really difficult to do it's imp i mean that idea of doing both is really an idea yes <laughs> it's nothing more than that um and what i've also found uh, as an actor is the ability to empathize deeper and when i'm empathizing as a composer there's more that's bubbling up within me and then I'm able to tap or allow that to flow out of me. Maybe that's a, probably a better way of saying it. All right. So you, you finished college or did you finish college? I did finish college. But I've, I graduated with my degree in theater because I didn't want to start fresh with a music degree. But by the time I graduated, I was pretty sure that music was going to be the way. Yeah. But I did, actually, now looking back, I did spend a couple more years attempting to act and I took some classes at Stella Adler and I auditioned for things. Mm. It was sort of the last, last ditch try at it, but I didn't sure. feel like my heart was in it. Yeah. I, at that time, my heart was in writing for musicals and I didn't really come around to the film scoring end of things. Didn't really discover that until, uh, just randomly, I got a job working for Mark Isham. This was through, this was actually through Lucas Richmond. Really? Because at the time I was, I was taking a bunch of private lessons in music to so because I didn't go back and start a music degree. So I was studying conducting and composition mm -hmm. with Lucas. Mm -hmm. And I was at his house for a lesson when his good friend David Lowe called and said, hey, I'm trying to help a composer out and he's looking for an assistant. Do you know anyone who would be good? And I was there and I said, well, I need a job. Ooh, that ooh, sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ooh, me, me. And it was at the time, it was sort of before the system that's in place now where people take assistant positions as sort of a, an apprenticeship because they want to be composers. Mm -hmm. It was just, hey, this sounds interesting and I need a job. Wow. And... Then, but and at first I was just working in his office, but getting that peek into the film scoring world was I was just fascinated by it and wanted to learn more. And at the time, Mark was just doing everything himself. He didn't have help with anything, so I kept creeping in and well, hey, do you need somebody to 
put some strings on that, sing on that, play piano yeah. on that. And he was happy to have help. Oh, that's fantastic. I worked with Mark uh, years ago on Reservation Road. I was the music editor. That's right. I, were you working with him then? I was. That was one of the, I think I, <laughs> oh I either gosh. orchestrated that or wrote a couple of cues for it. I, wow. I do remember. That's amazing. So we work together. <laughs> we have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We, oh, my gosh. Is that, is that, I don't think we ever. I don't uh, think we ever. Did you come to his studio? I, I don't did. think we ever interacted in that. That must have been either when I wasn't there. Or yeah, I came I to his place twice. Maybe we did. Yeah, maybe. I don't I don't wow, remember. Maybe we even met. <laughs> we may have because I remember dropping off some drives and going into a studio, uh, a beautiful studio, my gosh. Oh, yeah. But I didn't it wasn't like, you know, hey, meet this person, meet that person, you know, it didn't have a whole it wasn't like that. It was just, you know, Mark's doing Mark. And I met his son at the time who was quite the tinkerer. Apparently he was taking apart drives and what have you. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of it. Wow. You know, not, not too much there. Yeah. That's crazy. Now let's go back a little bit. Didn't you go on the road with Pat Benatar? I did. That was, that was sort of in between the Mark Isham years. And that was another, all, all of the best career opportunities that I've had have been through some sort of random, random uh -huh. thing. This was, I got a call from a singer friend who I was in choir with at UCLA. And she said, hey, if you want to audition for, Pat Benatar is looking for a woman to sing back up and play keys. And if you want to audition, it was literally call this guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and they might be able to get you an audition. And I called. And at the time he said, oh, we've already got a full day of girls coming in. But if, if none of these work out, we'll call you. Oh, geez. So I thought that was disappointing because I was a huge fan, of course. Pat was one of my junior high and high school idols. Yeah. But I did sit down and think, well, gosh, I really would like to do this kind of a a touring gig. And I don't, I had played in cover bands here and there. I hadn't really, didn't really have aspirations to be a band person or a solo artist. But I did sit down and think, well, if I wanted to pursue this kind of gig, what would I need? And I wrote it down literally to the last MIDI cable. What would I need if I got this kind of job? And the following week, they called back and said, hey, you know, we didn't like any of those people at the audition. So why don't you learn these five songs and come in? So I did. Wow. And that time it worked out. Amazing. And, and I think back about how your mom taught you to sing harmony. Yes. And how, how that must have been so, did it, it must have come easy for you because you've been doing it. It did. It was very easy. And it's, it's funny because I, I always think of my singing voices, ah, whatever, my voice is nice. But in, in the theater world, I know so many people with just a fantastic vocal instruments yeah. that I was really surprised when talking to the band guys later about my audition. I always thought it was because I was such a great keyboard player. <laughs> and they said, no, it was because Pat loved your voice and she loved the way that the two of you sounded oh. together, which was just the hugest compliment oh my from God. my idol. Yeah. And thank you, mom. 
right? I mean, just yes. so <laughs> such a gift. Wow. And so how yeah, long did that last? That was that was another thing I had. I was working for Mark at the time and I said, oh, I have I'm going to this audition. In fact, I only had one keyboard. So I asked him if I could borrow a second keyboard so I would look like the cool girl with the cool setup. And I, I thought it was just a two week tour. So then when I got it, it was a month no, it was two months. Oh, was, wow. <laughs> and I had to go back and say, uh, mm, <laughs> I got this gig, but it's actually for the entire summer. <laughs> and, and he was very kind and he was excited for me. He's done a bunch of touring himself. And he said, oh, this is so great. He said, just go ahead and do it. We'll get an intern for the summer to take over your job. And then when you come back, your job will be here. Oh, which was I thought was so wonderful. And yeah. then since that worked out so well, I did that every summer for the next four years. <laughs> really? I was able to have this this double life of a summer tour with Pat and a through the rest of the year job with Mark. What was that like to be on tour? It was it I always say it was really fun and exciting for the first month. Then when it it, it, this was a grueling summer tour. It was a, a bus tour from one end of the country to the other and back. Mm. And a lot of the venues were fantastic, big audiences. Some of them, there were also a lot of, when you're doing that kind of tour, there's a lot of kind of summer rock fests with 80s and 90s artists mm -hmm. that we got to do. And then uh, Native American casinos, who knew there were so many Native American casinos and they're beautiful and a lot of them have a whole resort attached to them. Mm. That was a lot of fun for the first month. And then for the second month, I was starting to get a little homesick and feel like, oh, I wonder what everyone's doing in the film scoring world. Yeah. And I lived with a boyfriend at the time and I, I think the touring kind of brought about the end of that relationship oh. because... Uh, it was a long story, but I, I definitely learned the lesson that for a relationship to work, you have to be always working at it and giving to it. And mm. if you're not physically there for a third of the year or a fourth of the year, it's very difficult. Yeah, I understand. It's, and I guess that's like anything, right? Where putting the time and the effort into it or not, it, you know. Definitely. It's like practicing your instrument yes. or yeah. any, any skill that takes, that takes upkeep. Yeah. But, uh, but the, the being on stage with Pat was amazing and her husband, Neil, and they're just the nicest people. They had two daughters that they would always bring on the road with them. And so it was like a family friendly tour. Wow. How wonderful. <laughs> it was great because a lot of the, they were a little older than I was and a lot of the most of the guys in the band were a little older and they all used to joke that they got all their drugs and wild stuff out of the way when they were younger so this was this was the family friendly tour <laughs> which was nice yeah I bet I bet I had just finished working on a movie about pink and uh it's ha oh. yeah it hasn't come out yet it'll be uh on Amazon um for Mother's Day I think and it's fascinating because it was really a whole lead up to her concerts in, in Wembley. And you can just see the progression and being on the road and how it is. And it is, I mean, she does a very family, I mean, you know, she has two children and the people on her band have been with her for years. 
and it it's amazing and i don't know like i interviewed justin derrico her guitarist and i just can't imagine like because they're on tour for like sometimes three years and i just i'm wow. like i know i just like you know wow i just i don't know how you do it but their music is amazing oh yeah like the bands are so like you know just being able to be part of such a a band that plays together and is so tight and and makes music has got to be so thrilling and it must have really hit all of those those vibes for you for being on stage i think it did i think i it did and I, and the boy the musicianship level in that band i definitely felt like the poorest player in the room. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the all of the all of the pop the keyboard parts were not hard for her songs, but then in between, the guys would these guys can play anything. And Neil is an amazing guitar player, and they would just go into jazz jams and funk jams. Oh my and, gosh! And I'd be saying, "Hi, I'm a, I'm a classical pianist <laughs> who plays a little bit of pop." <laughs> oh my gosh! You want to hear some Beethoven? <laughs> You know, it's so funny, Cindy. You do remind me of Kristen so much because you both have similar backgrounds with being <laughs> classically trained and loving the opera and loving theater. And it's like, you know, and she would just, she, and she would act just like that. So, you know, want some Beethoven? You know. <laughs> yes, there was there was one there was one song in the show where I had to have I had to play a blues piano solo, and I the first year I, I agonized about it every night. I just. Oh my God, it's coming. Okay, two more songs. Oh my God, okay, looking at the set list. Oh. One more song, here it comes. Oh God, here it comes. And it, for whatever reason, it didn't really occur to me until the next tour that I could practice and work up a blues solo and I could really yeah. kind of come at it as a composer and tell a story with it. And even Neil came and said to me one time, are you, worried, are you stressing out about that solo? Just be really simple and just tell a story. Mm. And after that, I what? felt so much better about it. Yeah, fantastic. After that, it was such good advice. Yeah. And approaching it from that way in totally made it make sense to me. Wow. that That's such great kindness and such great words of advice. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. All right. So let's, so you've been, now so you go back, you've been working with Mark. And how long did you work with Mark? Are you still working with Mark? I don't even know. It feels like forever. <laughs> and, <laughs> in, a, in a good I way, Mark. In a good work way. With him. <laughs> I, in a good way. <laughs> no, it's I. I loved being part of that team, and it's I still occasionally work with him. In fact, uh, last year, I right before the pandemic, I did a little additional music for the Bill and Ted movie mm -hmm. with him, which was a lot of fun. And then we worked on the uh, Apple Plus series, Amazing Stories. Mm. We did sort of a sci-fi episode with a blend of orchestra and synths. Oh, which how was a fun! Lot of fun, but I, I officially left the staff of Mark and went out on my own around the beginning of Once Upon a Time, which I think was twenty ten. Okay. Uh, but I I had worked with him for a long time, and it, as I said, just started working in the office, and then kind of gradually moved up to doing some musical things. Mm -hmm. And then right after, we had just come out of a very busy run of a couple different films and a TV series, and we sort of, Mark came in and said, let's have a chat. He said, I'm just really happy with the work you're doing, and I just want to make sure you're happy. And I had been thinking 
The only thing that would be better would be if I could go on my own and work from my own studio and be an independent, do my own project as well as Mark's stuff. And that summer we had a fantastic intern who was fresh out of college, Allison Cantor. And so when Mark and I were having this chat, I thought, oh, this is my opportunity. Mm. And I just put it out there and said, what I'd really love is to work from home and be independent. And what if Allison took over my position? And that really felt like a win-win for everybody because Allison had been an intern and now she had a job. Yeah. She was smart and capable. Nice. And he went for it. And I was so excited and grateful that all of that worked out. Oh, fantastic. And and that was... And who knew that Once Upon a Time would would go on for seven years? <laughs> That's amazing. So that was right before Once Upon a Time. So you and Mark got to write that whole series then. Is that how that... Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. And we well, we had another composer too. We had Mike Simon okay. on board. And, and so, and we pretty much... All hands were on deck all the time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty big orchestral, not big orchestral, but it wasn't a smaller ensemble. They would temp it with gigantic hundred-piece action cues, and then we had, I think we had 25 to 30 players and sample. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Which I I feel like we did did a good job of kind of doing that sound or doing that sound in the way that you can in that situation. Yeah. And what a great gig, particularly for you in terms of your sensibility, because it seems like that was right up your alley. I feel like it was. It was thematic writing and it was fantasy and Mm. larger than life characters. And yeah, it was pretty much the dream job. That's fantastic. So, so you've been working now, you know, you've, you know, you're on your own, you've been doing your gigs. Tell me some of the hurdles you had to go through. What were some of the hard things? Ah, uh, <laughs> there have been many. Well, it was definitely, it's, I got into the groove of Once Upon a Time for so long of having a live orchestra every week and having this network primetime show and the money was fantastic and we had a great team that we worked with and so that I hadn't and it was just busy 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 all the time so I hadn't really thought about as you should always be thinking the next steps ahead I hadn't really thought about hey how am I going to get gigs after this is done it's well now everyone knows who I am and gigs are just going to come to me right yeah (laughs) uh it was not that easy. And it's it's funny because when even when you're co-credited or when you're additional music on a large project, it doesn't quite doesn't so easily follow that you can get a project of that size yourself. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. Is it the is it trust in a name brand? Is it, uh, I'm not sure. And I've had this discussion with many other composers who are sort of at the same career point of, all right, how do we, how do we get up to the next hurdle? How do we get our network primetime show? Because we've done the work of it and we've delivered it. And our, obviously our work was good enough for that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's, I think it's just, I think it's 
just a matter of finding the right project, maybe. Yeah. Finding something, someone that really, a showrunner or director that really believes in your work or that really wants, maybe someone wants a woman composer. Yeah. <laughs> and I have, I have such mixed feelings about that whole thing because I certainly don't want to be given a job just because of my gender. But on the other hand, I'm sure there have been times when I have not been given a job because of my gender so mm. if and if that is a thing that someone connects with as far as as far as i want to hear a woman's point of view on this story then to, who am i to say "Ooh, no right <laughs> stop thinking about gender you horrible person right <laughs> you know it's it's an interesting topic and as you can imagine Kristen and i have many conversations about it even in our time like in particularly now in our culture I, I mean, I do know that there is the call for women composers. Um, it is hard because on, because on one hand, it's wonderful that women are getting more opportunities and it's becoming more normalized. And so from that, from that end, I want to champion the work of all women sure. and say, yay, look what women are doing. But I hope it doesn't end up something like the women score the women's stories and the men score yeah. the men's stories. I know. I, I don't know. think that's where it's going, but I hope it doesn't go that way. Yeah, I hope so, too. Um, it's interesting how we're going to find parody. But it is great that it is great that we're having these conversations. And as far as ethnic diversity and wanting to wanting to hear all of the voices who have not had a chance it's i feel like it's a wonderful thing yeah absolutely and did you feel in the past that uh did you feel excluded because of your gender maybe that's too direct not so much i've i felt like assumptions were made i felt like once someone had heard my music even in i took some film scoring classes at ucla and i would always notice i was one of only a couple of women in the class and I would notice a lot of the men in the class were big talkers dropping names and slapping backs and that kind of thing mm -hmm. and I I sort of was ignored or felt felt ignored and felt intimidated but mm -hmm. then once it came time to play our music mine was as good as anybody else's and I felt like that people heard that and noticed that and suddenly I was I was one of the club. I didn't feel like they shut me out just because I was a woman. Mm. I felt like talent was sort of the thing that the thing that gets you in the door. And yeah. that that's been the experience that I've had for most of my career, but definitely assumptions are made if I'm at, sitting at one of Mark's sessions and I've written stuff people probably would not guess that I was a composer. It was usually, oh, hi, <laughs> I wow. want to schedule something with Mark. Are you his office girl? Or uh, one time there was a meeting, a meeting at Mark's and the, his wife had made a beautiful fruit tray and food set up and everything. And I had done some writing and was sitting there waiting for the meeting to start. And one, one of the dudes who was there said, are you responsible for this beautiful fruit tray? Like he was being nice and complimenting me. <laughs> wow. But I wanted to say, no, actually, I wrote a bunch of the music that you're about to listen to. But, but I just said, oh, no, that was Donna. Isn't she great at that? Gosh. 
And again, there's no there's no malice there, but it's just assumptions are made. Yeah. And I hope I hope that is starting to change as the women become more visible. It's mm. in all roles of the film business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, um, it's how do I say this? Um, I've become more and more aware of the lack of opportunities that women have had. Now, I I need to preface this. Because my career really opened up and started in New York, there were lots of women and men all around. Everybody, it seemed, I wouldn't say it was 50-50, but I wouldn't say it was 90-10, you know? And so I just assumed that people had opportunities. People were doing their thing. I was doing my thing. And it's only as, you know, you get older and you start hearing the stories that you realize that, how do I put this? Gosh, as a white male, I've been really fortunate, privileged to have all these opportunities unknowingly. I didn't realize how hard it's been for my friends of color or women. And I can't say I didn't know. I always thought it was out there somewhere. <laughs> not in my, do you know what I mean? Not, yes, not, totally. not, not where I live. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about it, but it's the truth. And I'm ever so grateful to be more aware. Like, uh, I remember talking with Anthony, you know, Anthony Parther. Yeah. And, um, I interviewed him on the show, but we've been friends prior to that. And just hearing some of his stories was just so heartbreaking. And I bet I didn't go through any of that. You know, I mean, the most I ever went through as a child was because I was Italian and having all the slurs of being Italian. It's nothing compared to what other people have gone through or what women have to live with all the time at with the assumptions, like you said, these assumptions. And I'm, I'm sure I've been fortunate, more fortunate than others as a white woman to have to have different kinds of assumptions yeah. to be made. Yeah. I, it's and just again most most of it I feel is not I'm sure some of it is due to malice, but I feel like most of it is not due to overt malice. It's just due to our own subconscious biases and I'm sure I have mine. Yeah. And it's just a thing that we're all learning and trying to rise out of. Yes. I and that's why I really like talking about it on the show even to my own embarrassment <laughs> because it's, it's important. And I, now that it's like, now you see like, not you, me, now that I see um, the way to keep this from uh, going backwards and to keep it moving forward is to keep it on the table, to keep the light on it, to keep talking and let opportunities be the opportunities and let the expressions of what this person has to offer, bring it to the table. You know, it, it becomes a beautiful buffet. Yes. And I think it's great that a lot of 
I've heard of a lot of film and TV projects that are starting to do blind pitches where they just listen to music not knowing the composer's name or what their background is as sort of a first round of but it makes so much sense. It's it's like orchestras suddenly magically became desegregated yes. when they st- or became less segregated when they started having the blind auditions. I love that. I did not know. Because gosh, that. imagine. Yeah, I, people of all colors and genders can be just as good. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to share this with you because uh, I'll never forget this experience I have. First of all, I want to just say I didn't know that was happening. That's awesome. That that excites me. Uh, that just is so I wish wonderful. They, I wish they would all do it. Wouldn't yeah. that be wonderful? Wouldn't it? It'd really be great. <laughs> um, so years ago, I lived in Nashville, and uh, I had worked at, uh, uh, I had a media department, I worked at a church. And um, a friend of mine, who is a musician, and would he was also like a they called him musicianaries. He was a musician missionary and he would go all over Europe. He spent most of his adult life in Europe. And, um, I got to know him really well and he speaks like seven languages. And one time he brought me to this gathering of, of people from all over the world. And everybody was singing a song in their native tongue. Wow. And, it blew me away because what I was hearing was like a rainbow of colors, musically speaking. I couldn't understand all the words. Yeah. It didn't matter. What I was hearing was this unbelievable sound and all to all in some sort of made unison sense. Um, like it made an wow. harmony. It was so gorgeous and so amazing. It was the biggest aha moment in music that I've had in a very long time. Oh, wow. And and it just makes sense. Why can't we do that in the arts? That's what I walked away yeah. with. Why can't we be doing that in the arts? Yes. So we, because we all have these amazing colors of expression. And I don't mean colors of skin. I mean colors of expression in terms of even painting of colors or musical sometimes i think music and colors it, it, it just yeah it was amazing and i wish i mean i'd love to be able to be in a room like that and record that it just was so oh yeah um gosh how do i want to describe it it must have been like an amazing, if I can make music sound translated into an aroma, it must have smelt so sweet. Oh. Do you know? Yeah, so, how incredible. Yeah. So that's what, when we're talking about this, that's what I'm remembering. And it, it excites me. I get very excited about the possibilities. Like when you're saying blind auditions, like, yeah, let's, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Uh, all right. So. Okay, I understand the some of those challenges. Um, and you've, you know, I mean, Cindy, you've done very well, and you're continually moving forward. And you're writing beautiful well, music. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm also sort of a, have such mixed feelings about the film and TV. So ambivalent about this business, because some of the 
stories that I've, experiences that I've seen at Mark's, I've, I've, first of all, I, going back to the previous conversation, I've got to plop in that I was very fortunate working at Mark's because I never felt like there was anything I couldn't do because I was a woman. Mm. And he's he's always been great to, he's always said, I don't care if you're black, brown, purple, yellow, male, female, if you've got talent, I want to work with you. Mm, that's so nice. Um, that's, however, some of the stories that I, the, some of the, the stress that I've observed working at the level that of level of career that he has got me thinking, I don't want to be an A-list composer. I don't want to have, there's so many, that would be a whole other conversation of. (laughs) Well, let's, let's touch on that a little bit because what I can say is when I, when I did American Sniper, it was like I put my feet into this rushing river and it swept me. Like at that level, things changed. Things were faster, higher stakes, um, more people coming out of the woodwork. And I was like, whoa, this was different way different. So tell me what you're talking about. How, what, what did you observe and what does it make you feel? I think when everything comes together and your music is supported, it's wonderful. Who wouldn't want to work at that level? Uh, And if you have a great team and a great staff, and I felt like I was, I was great as a support person working at that level. I didn't mind the stress and everything, but I don't know if I could deal with the heartbreak of having a score thrown out because some random producer stuck their finger in the pie. (laughs) (laughs) Or, I don't know, there was just the politics of that level. And then, I remember one time, when did box office become such a huge thing? Was it Mm. 10 years ago? 15 years ago? There used to be what I call the mid-budget art movie, which was what I dreamed of for Mm. my career. Like, no one cared if it was number one at the box office. It didn't have any superhero costumes. It had a meaningful drama story. (laughs) And Mark did a lot of those projects while I worked with him, and those were the kind of projects that I dreamed about. But then suddenly, so much became about box office. And I remember having a conversation with a friend about now the entire, you know, every Joe Blow on the street can rattle off what the top 10 box office movies are and everyone cares so much. And my friend said, well, if you want to be a top 10 composer, you have to care about box office. And I said, I don't know that I do mm. want to be a top 10 composer. I, I just want to do good work on projects that I am mm-hmm. proud of, whether they are blockbusters or indie films. That's the thing that makes my yeah. heart sing. That's it's really great for you to know that. I think it's really important for us to know what it is that we love to do and 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 then try to be involved in that. Because I I, I think we spend a lot of time, at least I can say I've spent I spent time tr- striving uh in areas where I realized I don't think I really wanted to even be there. <laughs> it's like what am I doing then? <laughs> 
And I sort of, and after the, after the Pat tour, which was a wonderful experience and I loved it, but it did make me realize I don't want to be a touring sideman mm. player. This is not a thing that I want to, I don't want to try and get on the next tour and the next and the next, because as, as much fun as it was, it, it was part of me that was sad that it wasn't my music. Yeah. And it was great having fans that loved Pat so much and again, I was I was wishing that it was my thing. Yeah. And it's, maybe that's just ego wanting all of the glorification. But I feel like I, I get more satisfaction and pleasure from having my own musical in a 99-seat house and the audience really excited about that than 30,000 people at a rock fest cheering over, hit me with your best shot. <laughs> so it's... I've, I think this is all part of as we get older, we one of my friends said, as we get older, we become so much more of who we are. Yeah. And I think it's true. And we we zero in on the things that really bring us joy. And they're not always the things that 25 year old us thought would bring us joy. Oh, so well said. So well said. Well, uh, as we come to a close, what would you say to a younger composer wanting to get involved wanting to do music uh, as a composer or uh, musicals, you know, based on what I got a better question. What would you say to the younger Cindy today? The younger Cindy, I would, I would say just start making things. I would say now we, we live in a world where equipment is cheap. Computers are cheap. People can just make things and put them out into the world and you don't have to wait for someone to hire you so much in today's world. You can put out your own album, you and your friends can get together and make a film and you can score it. There's, It's definitely much easier to just jump in and start making things and see how you like it, see if that process is for you. Mm, nice. That's great. Cindy, thank you so much for being on the show. It went thank by fast. Thank you, it I mean, did. This was, this, you're such a wonderful interviewer and storyteller. I was wondering, listening to your podcast, if you also write or if that's a thing that you are interested in. Um, it's a really good question. And I, at this point, am a f I'm a little fearful of writing. Um. So that probably means I will be at one point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I hope you do because you're, you're really such a good storyteller. Oh, and the way you. you can just zero right in on the point of a rambling story <laughs> and give it structure and give it importance. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It's a, it's a good I, thing. Thank you. I just don't know if I have, I feel more comfortable behind the mic. I feel more comfortable interacting. Um, I don't know if I have what it takes to sit pencil in hand and start telling a story. I don't know. I, I, it's some, I love storytelling. I love, that's why, I, I mean, I directed something this summer. Ooh. Loved that. Learned so much. Um, but I just wonder, you know, have you heard of the, of course you have, the artist way. Yeah. And yeah. And so do you, you remember that expression in the artist way? It's called a shadow artist. Yes. And sometimes I wonder 
how much of what I've done has been a shadow artist to the real thing. Like I feel once I understood that, I felt like, oh my gosh, I've spent years as a music editor being a shadow artist to the composer that I've always wanted to be. That's what I got my degree in in composition. That's what I fell in love with. I'm like, ooh, that was that was a tough one. And then I started thinking about, you know, then I just started acting. And then I, then I did this directing thing. And I'm like, have I honed in yet? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I still love writing music and, um, and orchestrating, like just, I don't know. Cindy, just, I don't know. We'll see. Why not do them all? <laughs> yeah. I mean, right you're now. Doing, right? You're doing them all and you're doing well at them. So. Oh, thank you. I, it's, it's a, it is, as I can't tell you, I, well, I can tell you, I love doing this. I love meeting with you. I don't, like, I've met you from a distance. I know you through Kristen. I don't know much about you, but now that I've met you, I feel like, like, I could go have dinner with you. And, you know, it's like, I feel like, you know, what a, I love totally. that. It's so wonderful yeah, to meet like somebody. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I just, I really enjoy it. It's a great process. And uh, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if there's any stories that come out of here. We'll see. I don't know. That's, or maybe this is the <laughs> sweet spot right here. Maybe podcast host and storyteller is the sweet spot. It could very well be. It could very well be. I don't know. Cindy, thank you. It's, again, wonderful to have you on the show. I look forward to when we're all vaccinated and COVID is kind of behind us and we can all get together. Yes. And love to meet your husband. And I'm sure, Kristen, like the four of us, would, we'd have a wonderful time together. Yes, that sounds great. Let's do it. All right, Cindy. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. You know, I always say, and there you have it. <laughs> or did I tell you? But I really want to say, didn't I tell you? This was an amazing conversation with the multi-talented and articulate Cindy O'Connor. I really loved how she handled being on tour with Pat Benatar and that whole, what do I do as a soloist because she's classically trained and, and then just eventually dealing it with a, like a composer and telling a story. It's so awesome. And of course, how she's really holding her own and being her full-on self in this, I'm going to say, wacky world of film composing. But you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, great conversation. All right, next week, I can't tell you who's it going to be. Who's it going to be? All of a sudden, I'm Italian here. Well, I am Italian, but you know what I'm saying. I've got someone lined up. Now they're having second thoughts, so I may be going on to somebody else, but I won't find out until when? Tomorrow. So there you go. In the meantime, take care of yourself, okay? And remember, if she's doing it, why not you? Why not you?